Hey Dragons, welcome to episode 39 of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. I am Kenny Rotter, your host. Today's episode is with Diana Leto, and before I introduce you to her, let's get through the show notes. So, please, if you have not yet, please rate and review me on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Totally helps, helps me move up the charts, helps more people find this, more people, it shows up in more people's um feeds and other things like that. So shoot me a rating and a review. We totally appreciate it. Now, on to Diana. I met Diana at San Diego Comic-Con. She is an amazing artist that I discovered through, obviously, My Little Pony, but she has done a lot of work with the Jim Henson Studios. You guys may recognize that name. It is the same people who bring you Sesame Street and the Dark Crystal, and the Muppets, obviously, Kermit, and all those great guys. So, anyways, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation, and as usual, work out, nerd out. In the basement, rolling dice, rolling dice, I'm always a wizard. When we play, we do it right, candles flicker, fighting dragons in my mind, in my mind, just for kicks. DM says you're gonna die, roll a DC. Welcome back to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast, everybody. This is Kenneth Rotter, your host. Today, I am joined by Diana Leto, comic book artist, amazing, extraordinaire. Diana, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Oh, thank you for joining us. We'd love to have you. I love your art, so it's always a, it's always a good opportunity to get me to... Uh, fanboy out on people. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so can you briefly tell everyone listening a little bit about you? Sure. I've been an artist for about 14 years now. About seven of those years have been in the comic book industry. I've done work for Sesame Street, the Jim Henson Legacy, My Little Pony, Tarzan, Dark Horse Comics, IDW, and a little bit of work for Nickelodeon. That's awesome. Uh, how did you get involved with Sesame Street? How did that come about? Well, Sesame Street was one of my very first gigs, and I was going to Parsons, the new school at the time. And I actually started going to school rather late because I come from a really poor family. Okay. So I had to uh, bartend and waitress for a long time, and, and I never really thought I'd be able to make it as an artist. And uh, I started scraping all my pennies and nickels and applied to basically every scholarship that's possible out there. <laughs> and I finally was accepted to Parsons after about six and a half years of going to school. So the running joke before I actually made it in this industry is I could have been a doctor instead. <laughs> <laughs> but um, while I was at Parsons, they did a bunch of internship fairs, which I highly recommend to anyone who is trying to get into any creative field, whether it's production, entertainment, writing, or illustration. And I went to a bunch of these fairs, and one of them was a place called Sesame Workshop. And I didn't even know what Sesame Workshop was because it wasn't called Sesame Street. So I went over and I showed them my portfolio and... Then I slowly came to realize that this was the place where Jim Henson had created, you know, Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> and then I got very excited. <laughs> 
And I interviewed with Kip Rathke, who actually worked with Jim Henson and um, Kermit Love, who was one of the original puppeteer creators. I'm totally saying that in the wrong way, but he helped create Big Bird and he was a wonderful artist. And uh, Kip Rathke was really excited to meet me and he hired me to intern at Sesame. And uh, it went really well. So after that, they hired me part time and then full time. And I sort of just kept putting myself out there and exploring what avenues I wanted to go down, especially when it was Muppet related. And finally, some people saw something in me, which I would also suggest to any artist to just keep going down all these different paths until you find something that really sticks with you, because there's going to be little jumps and hurdles along the way. Oh, absolutely. And did you, did you grow up with Sesame Street? Was Sesame Street something that was involved in like your childhood? Huge. Sesame Street. I, I would say Jim Henson is one of my heroes still today. Um, the Muppet show, man, that was on every day in my house all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Kermit the Frog is my hero. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still a huge Muppet fan. So it's amazing that I get to work with these characters that still inspire me today. Was that, was that really like kind of mind blowing that you grew up with this and then now you get to work with them? Oh, it was, I mean, it was sort of surreal. Because I think you, when you put yourself out there and you put yourself out there and you fail and you fail, and the key, you know, not to sound like a Pinterest quote, is <laughs> to just get back up again. But um, I actually had, I was fortunate and very grateful to have gotten a few offers at that time. And I chose Sesame Street specifically because it was Muppets and I grew up with it. And it was one of the things that always sparked me to draw little doodles on napkins and restaurants and kept me going yeah i i'm on your website right now (laughs) i see a couple of photos of like there's one of elmo as uncle sam that says (laughs) elmo wants you yes you like that one i do and i also like the rosie the riveter one as well oh thanks yeah that's one of the illustrations that really started putting me on the map as i guess a social media illustrator. I was one of the first team members at Sesame Street to start talking about how you can use social media to promote, I guess, sort of the character or whatever you were trying to um, say that week, especially when you're talking to children and trying to help kids. Um, so Rosie the Riveter was one of the first pieces and projects I got to work on. And essentially what happened was I got together with the team and they said, oh, how can we sort of do a spin on having kids put down the pacifier? Because when you're two or one and a half, it's hard for kids to get rid of the pacifier or the binky. Yeah. And I said, oh, let's let's do a series of propaganda posters. So we did all this really cool research, which is sort of the funnest part of a art project you do all this research and do like rosie the riveter and all these propaganda posters and all these things from the 20s and the 40s and you get really inspired and then you go okay so how can we spoof this with muppets and um the first thing of course that came to mind was rosita and rosie the riveter because first of all that's one of the most iconic posters of all time but i mean it's just so perfect because it's rosita oh yeah and it's just it's rosita the riveter i love it (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and Carmen, the puppeteer, was really grateful that I drew that for her because um, usually it's Elmo or Cookie Monster that focuses. Yeah. And I would, like, sort of go into the obscure, you know? Like, Fat Blue from Sesame Street. I always loved him. I don't even know who you're talking about. Oh, Fat Blue is the, um, he's sort of like the big blue guy in the tuxedo grover would always come over and he would have fly in his soup. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He was sort of grumpy all the time. I I googled him right now, and yes, he looks... You go, right, yes. Yeah. See, I want to say my favorite was always Count Von Count. Oh, that's cool. See, I like it when people don't like the norm... The favorite norms, right? I love Count Fallon Count, too. Yeah. Or I, there's always a special place in my heart for Snuffleupagus. Yes. Just... As, yeah, especially early Snuffy, right? Oh, yeah. I don't know how I don't know how early, though, because I'm thinking about this, and I'm just like, early in my memory, yes, but I don't know... I don't know the timeline of my memory to when Sesame Street started. <laughs> oh, it started in the late... 60s? Oh. I, and I think it really started coming in in the 70s. Yeah. It, so um, I should know that offhand because I did all the old school packaging <laughs> and I'm um, falling short here. <laughs> oh, no worries. Uh, I do remember one time at, at San Diego Comic-Con, I got to go to a, uh, a Muppet panel. It was when they were promoting the new Muppet television show. Oh, that's awesome. The Cookie Monster one? No. No, it was it was the the primetime office type show. Oh, okay. So recently. Yeah, it was it was last year and Kermit was there and Spinny nice. were there, Rolf was there and <laughs> I was losing my mind. <laughs> um it was the first time I'd ever seen Muppets in person. <laughs> That's awesome, really. Yeah. <laughs> And Isn't it an amazing experience? It's it's such a surreal experience, especially because the puppeteers are so great that yes. they're right next to them, and you, I know. <laughs> and you you know that they're doing everything, but you're so engrossed in what the Muppet is saying. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> It's... Yeah, I, I completely agree. I remember I was on set with Leslie Carrera Rudolph, who plays Abby Kadabi, and um, design director Mark Magner. And I remember he said to me once, he said, uh, have you ever noticed that when Leslie goes up to the kids with Abby Kadabi, no one even looks at Leslie? <laughs> like they're completely engaged in the Muppet, which is, it's, I guess you know it, but until someone says out loud, you go, you're right. You know, that yeah. they become who you're speaking to. Uh, it's it's they're so incredible. And I think yeah. I yeah, I'm just glad that the spirit of Jim Henson lives on. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that is credit due to the puppeteers. Um, I also do work at Kids Comic Con where Noel McNeil and Leslie Carrera Rudolph always or often come to. Um, so let me know if I'm going, uh, segueing too much. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, but Noel McNeil was Baron in the Big Blue House, and he was also on Eureka's Castle, and Leslie Carrera Rudolph is known for Abby Cadabby, but she also does a puppeteer, I guess, 
uh, puppeteering and sort of creative workshops with her own creation called Lolly Lard Pop. And they're all amazing. I mean, they're incredible. They both worked under Jim Henson is what I was going with. And they still talk about him to this day and how much of an influence they meant to him. And we have these wonderful discussions about how Jim not only opened up your mind and your hearts and your imaginations, but he had this way of creating this world for you that you could become a part of. And just that feeling that you're entering this whole other universe that you could be a part of is something I think you keep with you always. Well, and his, his talent really went far beyond just children's shows. Like when you saw what he did with like labyrinth. Yes. Oh, it's okay. Or dark crystal or, um, I'm trying to remember the other one where he did all the Greek mythology stories. Those are, some of those are really dark, but they're the puppeteering is incredible. And some of the new CGI, which unfortunately, since he passed, we'll never know where he was going to go with it. But he was definitely dabbling in CGI and animatronics for puppets. And, uh, his son still does some of that. And it's very cool. That's excellent. Well, let's talk more about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> These are all my inspirations. <laughs> what, like, when you're not at a Comic-Con or you're not working, what are your favorite areas of nerdiness? Where does your nerd fandom really come out? Hmm. That's hard to say. Um, I guess I, my favorite comics when I was younger, and they still stick with me now, were Popeye and anything Muppet, and also I love the Peanuts and the X-Men. So I think whenever I start getting excited about comics today, it eventually always goes back to those first few comics that I read. Oh, and Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing was a huge comic that I adored. Really? And uh, Yeah, and I think I liked X-Men and Swamp Thing first when it came to more adult comics as opposed to Peanuts or Popeye. Uh, because the women are so strong in them. And I try to do that in my own work. I always like that the female characters are strong, but they also can be a little girly, you know, because they like girly stuff, not because they're helpless. And I also really enjoy that they, I guess, uh, they're unique. You know, they're not the norm. They're always a little different. And I like that because, you know, I think part of the reason we are drawn to comics is because there's a little bit of weirdness in all of us. And when you read comics, you get to thinking, oh, that's cool. Someone else is weird like me, too. And I love that relatability. Yeah, absolutely. And I see here, speaking of the strong female type characters, you also have a spoof on or a little play on Wonder Woman. Yeah. Says, well, I have to. My name is Diana. Yeah. Which is don't mess with girls who wear glasses. <laughs> I just did that one day for fun. I thought it would be so cute to uh, draw Wonder Woman sort of taking her glasses off. Because when you first get glasses when you're a kid and I wear glasses all the time, uh, you know, you go, oh, no, I don't want to wear glasses. Oh. I'm going to be such a nerd. And then I think you sort of grow into it. Go, I kind of like these glasses. I'm pretty cool for wearing them. Or at least I like to hope that's what you get with with a 
Wonder Woman glasses drawings or the drawings I saw of strong women wearing glasses. Oh, I, I remember getting glasses. I was the first kid in my class to get glasses in the third grade. Oh, uh, it's hard, right? And it was just like, it didn't help that I was super awkward and I had a really bad <laughs> mullet haircut. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I feel you, though, because I think I got mine in the fifth grade and I was still trying to do that crimp thing with my hair in the 80s. And, man, it wasn't working. <laughs> okay, so... Awkwardly, I hear the crimp is coming back. No, is it? <laughs> There's been like a few celebrities that have gone out with the crimped hair, like for really? performances, and I'm like, <laughs> that's let's let's leave it in the eighties. I don't know. I won't say anything too bad against it that I've already said because my hair color changes weekly, so who knows? I might be rocking the crimp hairstyle next time. <laughs> <laughs> and it, okay, next con, if you're rocking a crimped haircut, <laughs> I, I may make fun of you in jest. Just, <laughs> I so. think now it's going to be necessary. Okay. <laughs> East Coast Comic Con 2017. I'm already booked to be there, so hopefully I'll see some of you guys there. But <laughs> rainbow hair crimped, crimped. That's what I'm going to go for. That's the goal. <laughs> so, um,. How how I came across your work is um, most people know this, but I'm in. I am a huge fan of the My Little Pony comic books. Me too. Thank you. And how did you get involved with My Little Pony? So I was doing a bunch of work for Dark Horse Comics. I was doing work for the Halloween Legion, which I helped co-create and co-illustrate with Martin Powell. And I was also doing a lot of work for Tarzan and the Cave Girl, which are both properties under Edgar Rice Burroughs. And I ended up going to, I forget which con it was, but I met some of the My Little Pony people and was able to reach out to them. And I basically just started showing them my artwork and said that I was a big fan of the show, which I am also a big fan of the show, which makes it even more fun for me to be able to draw a lot of the exclusive covers. And... um. I started drawing little sketches of the ponies in different styles for the people at IDW. And I also started doing some artwork for Little's Pet Shop. And I sent it all over. And they are so wonderful over at IDW that they sort of pushed me to go a little further. And I can't say enough kind things about art directors and editors who go, I really like what you're doing. Let's see you push it even further. Don't be afraid to step outside of the box. And everyone I've spoken to at IDW has been like that. And it's just such a wonderful experience to have before you're even hired by them. Because a lot of people will critique your artwork in this industry. And I'm not sure that it's always constructive. Yeah. So when IDW got back to me, like, oh, try play a little bit more with it or try going a little looser with it or try this. It was just fun to get to work with them. And I think after playing around with it and having fun with it and with the editors, they were thinking, you know, yeah, let's, let's get this girl on some of the covers because we're having a blast just talking about it and drawing these things with her. And she seems really into it. So that's sort of how I got started working on the My Little Pony covers. Do you have a favorite um, cover that you've done? A favorite cover. I really like the last cover I just did, which was a Labyrinth spoof for San Diego Comic-Con. 
See, that's what I was going to say. It's kind of where <laughs> I wanted to go. Um, okay. Your San Diego Comic-Con exclusive cover for that was, it's probably one of my favorite covers that I've seen in general, just oh, of, thank any, you. of any comic. And I actually am pretty sure I have it. Let me, let me turn around. Yes. <laughs> I, I have, um, you were nice enough to sign it for me. And then I also ran into, um, Tony Fleeks and, nice. uh, and they signed it for me. And so I have that, uh, framed and hanging up in my office. That's cool. Um, is it weird that a 32-year-old guy really enjoys My Little Pony comic books? No, I don't think so, not at all. Because the story and the script are so strong. And the character arcs are great, and the morals are fantastic. And I've always been a fan of Lauren Foss, the creator of the show. Oh, yes. I mean, I've loved her since Powerpuff Girls. And I, I know she didn't, um, it was really her husband now that created it. But I'm, she had a big hand in it, I'm pretty sure. But I've loved her work for so long. It's just amazing to see her create this resurgence of Milo Pony and this. I also think it's a quite highly feminist show. Oh, yeah. But as a woman, I love. Well, as a human, I love. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> um, I was, I, yeah, I, well, I'm... You know, there's a 50-50 chance that when I have kids, one of them's going to be a, a daughter. <laughs> and yes, I, about 50-50. Yeah. And I have I have a niece that was just born and especially in the last 2 or 3 years, it's really opened my eyes into how different the world is for men and women. Really? Like I my wife and I were walking to Target one night and like we, I usually take this brief little shortcut through this alley. Okay. And it was getting dark, but it wasn't dark yet. But my wife's like, no, I'm not going through the alley. And then we had a, you know, a discussion about it. And it's to me, I'm not the biggest guy in the world, but I don't really have to worry about anybody jumping out of this alley and attacking me. Whereas going through that alley, even with her husband, my wife was a little bit more hesitant because that's a fear she has. Oh, interesting. And it never, it, I mean, possibly living in New York, maybe you are a little bit more accustomed to walking because it's a walking city. Um, that's true. I mean, L.A., we're, we're always in our cars. Right, right, right. And so it just it just kind of struck me that the world, you know, I, I, I hate to sound ignorant about this, but like five years ago, I was like, I didn't really get the nuances and how life occurs differently for men and women. And that something that's completely normal for a guy could be life threatening for a woman. Right. I guess, yes, there are times when, you know, I guess girls have to be a little bit more careful in the situations they're being put in. But, um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It is a little different for guys and girls. Yeah. Although it, I think after living in the city for a while, I tend to start thinking I'm Jessica Jones or something. Which is <laughs> <laughs> well, <let's see. laughs> I agree, but that's... That, that. 
That's why I'm so thankful that there's things like My Little Pony and Jessica Jones. And, yes. uh, even, even in the new Luke Cage TV show yeah. on Netflix, like very strong women characters. Yeah, very um, strong. Oh, Star Wars. I know. Like, I just saw the Rogue One, the, the new female, uh, lead looks great already. Um, yeah, I'm very excited for that. That's, that's one of my little nerdy pleasures is I do nerd out on the Star Wars stuff every now and again. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> what's, what's one thing that you're into that not many people may know or they might find surprising? Like, I don't think anyone looks at me and goes, oh yeah, that guy likes my little ponies. So, oh, hmm. Well, it'd be something weird about me. I think that, I mean, I've already mentioned it, but I think, um, a lot of people, I don't realize that I came from a poor background. Um, I'm not sure if that's the direction you were asking me about, but I think a lot of people don't realize that I had a family where I felt I had to get a real job, which, you know, artist wasn't considered real job. And I guess I, a lot of people look at me and think that I never really sort of struggled from the bottom up, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. Um, how, how do you think that's affected your your work as an artist, if at all? Well, fortunately, I think I gave myself the perspective that I'm constantly trying to prove to my own self to get better. Yeah, I think a- you sort of have that option in your life to choose the perspective no matter where you came from. And it's not easy, but to sort of realize that you're worth it and that every step closer you get to your dream, you just realize that there's just another step you have to take to get closer to it. Yes. And it's, it's, it's really that journey that we're all, we all think that we're in love with the destination, but I think a lot of times it's the journey that makes the destination so worth it. Yes. I mean, so before I started school, and I tell this story to a lot of the kids, especially when I go to um, the Bronx Community College or the Harlem schools, or I also do the Ronald McDonald House. I tell the kids at the schools that um, I was working as a waitress, and I never thought I'd be able to get an artist job or become a famous illustrator or be able to work with famous characters, rather, I should say. Um and I was working in the kitchen and the chef came over to me and he asked me to start basting the chicken. And I said, what do you mean baste the chicken? And he said, you pick up this brush and you put the marinade on it. And then you put the marinade on the chicken with the brush. So I picked up the raw chicken and put it up in front of my face holding it. And I started painting the chicken like it was on an easel. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite comical. I thought I was doing it brilliantly. And the chef came over and was looking at me perplexed and said, what are you, like an artist or something? And I had no idea that he was being sarcastic. And I said, I am an artist. You want to see some of my artwork? (laughs) And there's something about that moment where I went, wait a minute. If I thought that this guy was asking me sincerely if I'm an artist, maybe I should actually try and make a go of it. So I like telling the kids that story when I'm out at the events because I was kind of going down a path that wasn't great and you can sort of switch it at any time. There you go. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. It's, well, no, it's, it's one of the things that I was, I was at this 
training for my day job um, all week this week. Mm-hmm. And and one of the questions to start off was if if time, money, and talent weren't like weren't requirements, what right. would you what would you be doing outside of what you're currently doing? Um, and I I said that I would be focusing full time on my podcast and meeting people, talking, having these conversations, talking with you, talking with other artists. Oh, that's great. Um, and pretty much from that moment on, the only thing people would come up and talk to me about on breaks was this podcast. Yeah. See, that's how it works, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a, I would love to ask that. I would love to ask everyone to ask themselves that like if time, (laughs) money or talent weren't an, an issue, what would you be doing? Right. And then even if you're still working that day job, even if you're still, you know, uh, doing food service or still doing your corporate, you know, nine to five gig, take some time each week to move mm-hmm. towards whatever that answer is. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I didn't get my first foot in the door until I was 28 or maybe even 29. Yeah. 29. So until I was 29, I was waitressing or bartending and it was full time. And on the side, I was doing my artwork. So I think for most of us, we have to continue to sort of do the daily grind. But you're totally right. It's just keep doing what it is that you love. And eventually something is going to steer you the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you had any superpower, what would you, <laughs> what would you have? Superpower. Hmm. I have to think about this one. Especially after watching Luke Cage, all I want is super strong abilities, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um I guess I always let me think. I'm trying to think. I always love Storm from the X-Men, so I guess controlling the weather. I used to pretend I could control the weather when I was a kid and my imagination would run wild. Uh which sometimes I could still get back, which is hard as you get older as an adult. But I wish I could control the weather. That would be so awesome, like Storm, right? Would would you would you make? I think that's why my little... favorite um, pony is Fluttershy too, because she's sort of about nature and animals and loving. Okay, that I was actually going to get into that of what was your who was your favorite pony. <laughs> um, so Fluttershy, because she's loving the animals, she's nurturing. Do you identify with her? Because you seem very outgoing, very um, not as shy as Fluttershy. Oh, no. I'm petrified. Anytime I have to talk in front of a crowd or go on a podcast <laughs> or I go uh, to basically do anything, I'm petrified. Uh but I think some of the best advice I ever got was to take that nervous energy and sort of project it forward. So I try to do that every time, but I'm still always nervous. So when I see Fluttershy and she loves her nature and her animals and she's sort of always nervous and not sure if she's doing the right thing, that's totally me. Okay. Uh, I did take a pony, like, which pony are you test? Yeah, which Um, one were you? I'm very much Rainbow Dash. Nice. <laughs> and I was Rainbow like, Dash might be the favorite of most of the fans that come up to me. 
Really? Mm-hmm. I, I feel that she is just the most energetic and outgoing and risk-taking. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And I think, I think kids, at least when they're younger, they, they haven't had as many bad experiences, so they're still willing to take all those risks. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I didn't think of that as the relatability there. I also like that she's sort of a tomboy, her and Applejack. Yes. Yes. Um, I was at a con, I was at Phoenix Comic Con, and I saw a girl who had handmade an amazing rarity costume. Wow, really? Oh yeah. And, I and, wish I could see that. Yeah, th- this girl was like, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years old. Um, and she was just the coolest kid. Like, I went over and I was, I was talking to her for a little bit, um, just about her costume and why Rarity was her favorite. And it, like, uh-huh. talking about Rarity, just her entire face lit up. <laughs> That's great. I was like, it, it's like, it's like when you see the kids talking to the favorite Muppet. Or right. talking about their favorite Muppet. It's really, it's really a blast. And I think the fans connect with them on a level that then they can see themselves. And Rarity, she's my favorite to draw. And uh, she's just so much fun, girly fun. I can just draw her hair in different ways, and I can put a ton of sparkles around it. This is one of the few times where I get to go extremely girly with the artwork. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, I have a blast drawing her. Okay. I think that's I think that's really interesting because I see a lot of um differences between obviously Fluttershy and Rarity, but mm-hmm. the fact that one is your the one you most identify with is not the one you like drawing the most, and in fact they're almost opposites. Yeah, they are almost opposites. And also I could do a lot of extreme positions with either Pinkie Pie or Rarity. Right, they're always striking a pose, or they have their mouth open really wide, and they're gasping. That's always a lot of fun for me to draw. Anything where the expression is exaggerated. Excellent. Um, what are you? What are some of the projects you are currently working on right now? Well, I'm currently talking about actually my next San Diego Comic Con, My Little Pony cover, which is still just in talks, but that's a hopeful thing that will happen for next year. And I'm also working on a Sherlock Holmes vignette, but it's from Square One Publishers, and it's called The Lost Conan Doyle Stories. And it's a bunch of stories done by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle that weren't Sherlock Holmes that he did under a pseudonym. So I'm doing a bunch of pen and ink illustrations for that. That's really interesting. Um, When is that set to come out? I believe it's set to come out early 2017. Okay. And I'll make sure to promote it on my Twitter and ha- so people can go and pick it up. And I believe John Ramita is also in it, which is very exciting for me to be in a book with him. Yeah? Yeah, that's, I mean, a legend. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very exciting. And also, it's not usually what I do, so it's sort of fun to draw outside the box. I mean, I'm always trying to push the boundaries. I think that's how you become a better artist, but I don't usually get to draw Sherlock Holmes inspired stories. Okay. Um, speaking of Sherlock, do you watch Sherlock? Yeah, I love Sherlock. It's really well written. 
I love a really well-written script. Yeah, it's, it's, I just, I just am sick of waiting four years between every season. I know, when's Moriarty coming back? I, honestly, I think, I think Sherlock is supposed to be this year or early next year. I saw some promotions for it, but man, yeah, it's, the whole series is amazing. That Christmas episode they just had was spectacular. Oh, yeah. Um, the, was it? Was it the Abominable Bride? Yes. Yes. Oh um, my god, so brilliant! Okay, and and then we're just gonna gush on Benedict Cumberbatch for the next <laughs> twenty minutes. Oh my goodness! Well, both him and Martin Freeman. Um, it's Martin Freeman, right? Yes. They're both just such great actors. I mean, I think about Martin Freeman going from Sherlock Holmes to Fargo. I mean. His range of acting is astounding. Did you oh, see yeah. Fargo? I have not seen Fargo. Fargo uh, has not been on my list. Uh, he plays um, the sort of the lead bumbling clumsy character. Okay. Yeah, which is just... And they sort of take it a whole different creepy direction, but it's brilliant. But to go from um, Watson to that, like, <laughs> I don't even know how they do it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's really incredible, and I think I think one of the reasons why the BBC the BBC is taking so much time with Sherlock is because um, both those guys have become such huge stars. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the BBC can't afford them anymore. <laughs> oh, I guess that's true. they're also so busy with Doctor Strange and everything. Oh yeah, and they yeah. just they've blown up as as actors right now. So good. So, um. Is there anything else you're working on? Anything else you want to talk about? Anything I'm trying else? to think. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Right now, it's just My Little Pony and the Sherlock Holmes stuff. I have two possible other projects that I might get picked up, but I can't announce them right now. No worries. Yeah. I also still do stuff for the Jim Henson Legacy, which is fun. Um, I've helped them with their website and their Twitter and their social media accounts, and they've got all these cute little Jim Henson doodles on it. Oh, excellent. Yeah. That's always That's fun. Awesome. Now, do you have a go-to like resource or an app or something that helps you either stay motivated with your drawing or stay on task or just somewhere where you get ideas from? Yes. Um, I love all the 1940s, 50s, and 60s actresses. I don't know if you follow me on Instagram. I'm Miss Diana Lito, but it's either sketches or pictures of coffee or pictures of all these old movie stars like Marilyn Monroe or Veronica Lake. And there's something about watching those older films that go at sort of a slower pace that allow you to sort of re-energize. Okay. Yeah. Like the third man is one of the greatest film noirs of all time. And you watch that and you sort of just have a different pace in your mind. And my batteries are recharged and you go back to the drawing board and just start sketching and have a little fun with it. And I always try to do that where if I'm stuck on a project, which most artists are, or actually most creative people, I've heard a lot of writers go through writer's block this way. They will have a big project they have to get to, right? And they'll do anything but the project to procrastinate. So okay. I try to watch one of those movies or research some old pinup girls or 
you know, listen to some Orson Welles podcast, <laughs> War of the Worlds, and then I'll go to my drawing table and I'll just sketch out something for fun, just something for fun. Or I'll look up old Jack Cole drawings and I'll try to redraw Jack Cole. And I think some of those are on my Instagram as well. And I do those just to sort of get the blood flowing. Because if you just think about what you have to do, I I know that personally I'll never get to I have to do something fun first before I get to the real project. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I am I am actually on your Instagram right now, and <laughs> I do enjoy your your drawing of Spider Gwen. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. That one I just did for funsies. That was based <laughs> off of my friend Janice. She does this smush face where she's kind of like puts her lips up and curves into the side, which is not easy to draw. But I thought, oh. She'd be perfect as Spider-Gwen. So I did that one for fun. Well, excellent. I'm loving it. And where can people connect with you? You said Instagram, Miss Diana Lito. Yes, and I'm also Diana Lito on Twitter. Those are probably the two best places to find me. Okay. Or uh, my first con will be at East Coast Comic Con. I'm already set with a table there. And I believe that's late April of 2017. Okay. Yeah. Do, do you have any other cons coming up at the this year or early next year? Is that your next one? Um, I have some possibilities of cons coming before East Coast, but right now East Coast is the only one that's set. I am doing some charity events, such as the Ronald McDonald House before that, but that's for the children um, from... Uh, homes that need help or kids who have illnesses and me and a bunch of people from the kids comic con go over and draw for them. And it's a really heartwarming experience. Okay. Excellent. Um, if you, uh, I will get in touch with you after this is done. And if you want to send me any links to those, I'll be more than happy to include that. Oh yeah, definitely. In the show notes. Just so, just so maybe, um, it's a cause that rings true with someone and they want to volunteer and help out or have something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I know they're usually looking for people, anyone who can help out. Um, but it's just a wonderful thing to be contributing to. I think when the cons kind of start, they kind of end now. And then everybody kind of takes a break until March or so. So I think yeah. now a lot of the events that happen are either Christmas events or they're charity events or to help kids and families, especially when you're in children's media like I am. Yeah, absolutely. And just so I wanted to be clear, there's a couple different storylines uh, for My Little Pony. There's the friendship as magic, and then there's yes. the and then there's the friends forever. Um, yes. Do you, do you do covers for all of them, or specifically one of those uh, storylines? Um, that's just based on which is coming out at that time. But I usually draw exclusive covers for a specific con events. Okay. So I've done both Friends Forever and Friendship is Magic. Okay. So just everyone out there, go pick up every single issue of both <laughs> of these co- <laughs> And enjoy Diana's wonderful covers. No. Um, last but certainly not least, do you have any parting advice for anyone, for everyone out there listening? Uh, my parting advice... Um, I think a lot of what I do and many of the people that I work with all agree on this, but I think a lot of the reason why you become a comic book artist 
or especially for me, was that you become a comic book artist to give back. Uh, when I, I've, I've been reading comics for a really long time where there was the Sunday funnies or going to my local comic book shop. But uh, there was one book that really, really helped me. And it was Seth. I'm, I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Seth. C-S-E-T-H. It's a good life if you don't weaken. And I remember reading that book uh, and thinking, wow, this is just a book that speaks to me on so many levels. Uh, it's so real and, and it brings you down to earth, but while not sort of making anything overly spectacular, but also giving you a sense of comfort. And I remember finishing the book and I still have it on my shelf and I go to it every once in a while because it brings me hope and peace and uh, reflection. And when I finished reading that book, I remember thinking, this is what I want to give back to people. And the reason why I think I became a comic book artist is because, or an artist in general, is just that you want to be able to create something that gives someone else joy. Because what other reason do we have but to be here and help other people out? That's so true. <laughs> so I would say maybe find the thing where you think you're doing something that both inspires you and also helps the person next to you because there's really nothing more rewarding than going to these cons and seeing smiles on kids' faces or be able to tell them that, the impossible can become possible. You just have to keep working at it. It it makes every moment worth living. And that's probably the best advice I could give anybody. Absolutely. And it's, it's just be the... Even if you think the world is a dark place... Be, <laughs> Which I think all creatives do at times. Yeah. <laughs> be the light. Be a little piece of light in your section of the world. Yes. You know... I completely agree. Diana, it has been so amazing <laughs> talking to you today. Thank you for giving me some of your time. No problem. Likewise, it was a blast talking to you, too. Yeah. And to everyone out there listening, I hope you took a lot away from this conversation because it's definitely <laughs> one of the it's definitely one of the more meaningful ones. I think there are lots of tips uh, for people out there who are trying to get into the artist. Um, trying to become artists and try to be successful and make that their careers. And I think, I think there's a lot of good tips and tricks for them in this episode. But... <laughs> also, I, if I could just add one more thing, yeah. I would say um, I must've had a thousand failures before one success and it still goes that way. You still have a, you always fail and it's just whether or not you just keep going. That's so true. Um, Failure is not defeat. Mm -hmm. It's just one step towards success. It's definitely true. All right. Everyone out there listening, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day and work out nerd out. Thank you for listening to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well as a rating. We would definitely appreciate it. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media at Dumbbells Dragon. That includes Pinterest, 
Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Snapchat. Until next time, work out, nerd out.